0: This is The Think Tank with Dr. Mike O'Neill talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 923 FM and KTAR.com.
1: Two topics this week, uh, both highly relevant to the upcoming election. In the second half of the show and upcoming, We are going to talk with Adrian Fontes. He's the Democratic candidate for secretary of state. We would, by the way, have had his opponent on, but he declined several invitations or did not, to be precise, did not respond to several invitations. But the first half of our show, kind of setting a context for this, Sybil Francis is president and CEO of the Center for the Future of Arizona. And you were on the show a couple of months ago, I think, when we were discussing a a recent poll on what Arizona. Arizona, uh, Arizonans want. Uh, this is a second effort, and I wonder if you would tell us uh, what you set out to do in this second poll and how it relates to the first.
2: Well, thanks so much, Mike. Great to be with you again. What we really set out to do was center the voices of Arizonans in this election season. We wanted to find out what voters are thinking about the major issues facing our state and also give an opportunity to share those Interests, and then we can share those with the candidates running for office because we hear so much uh, political dialogue, but it's not always clear that that's connected to what Arizona voters actually want to hear about. So that was really the objective of this poll. We did one prior to the primary, and then we thought we wanted to check in again. Uh, after the primary, because some things had changed and we just wanted to see where voters were. And our objective really is to see where do we have agreement among all likely voters, Republicans, Democrats, independents and non-affiliated voters, so we can can really share with candidates running for office. These are really strongly held views by Arizona voters and um, that, that candidates running for office should know about.
1: Well, there were four questions that are kind of I think are your headline questions for this. They dealt with uh, fairness, security, accuracy, and confidence in the results of our elections. I wonder if you could talk about each one of those in turn.
2: Yes, absolutely. So, as as we know, uh, in this. Um, political period that we 're finding ourselves in, we hear a lot of discussion about uh, you know how safe are and fair our elections are, how accurate they are. We certainly are in an environment where we 've heard about stolen elections, uh, election fraud we've been through a lot uh, as a state and through these issues, and we thought, hey, why don't we just find out what Arizona voters think about uh, elections and so Yes, we asked about their views on the fairness, security, and accuracy of elections. We asked them about both the, uh, the primary um, in, uh, that we just had in August, and then we asked them to, to forecast how they would feel about the November election. So we did ask um, them, for example, did they believe that Arizona elections are fair? And 74% of all voters rate Arizona elections as fair. We also asked them... Uh, If they believe that elections are secure and 70 percent of all voters rate Arizona elections as secure and then 80 percent of voters are confident in the accuracy of the results of the recent August primary. And then 77 percent of all voters express confidence that the results of the November election would be accurate.
1: Those numbers are on the comforting side, uh, but as I looked through the cross-tabs on this, the numbers among Republicans, as one might expect, uh, differ uh, in some cases by quite a bit, and uh, not surprising to me, given that all of the discussion of stolen elections and fraud and the have have emanated on the on the Republican side. So, what if we look at Republicans only? What do those numbers look like?
2: Sure. So the Republicans uh, do have less confidence in the fairness, security, and accuracy of the elections. I should note that anything that we have put forward on what we're calling the Arizona voters agenda has to achieve at least 50 percent support among all the groups. So despite the fact that Republicans are lower um, in in these areas, uh, they're still above 50 percent. So just to break it down for you, I said that 74% of all voters rate Arizona elections is fair. The breakdown there is that 65% of Republicans, 68% of independent, unaffiliated voters, and 89% of Democrats. And you kind of see that split throughout all of these issues. So just looking ahead to the November election. As a reminder, I said 77% of all voters are confident that the results of the November general election will be accurate. That breaks down to 66% Republicans, 70% independent, unaffiliated voters, and 90% Democrats. So
1: I look at that, and there's kind of a glass half-empty, glass half-full, or two-thirds maybe, uh, element to this. Uh, On the one hand, uh, very strong majorities of the entire uh, electorate feel like elections are fair, secure, accurate, and have confidence in them. But if I were to look only at Republicans, I say on on the issue of fairness, 65% of Republicans say the elections are fair. 54% of perilously close to half of Republicans say the elections are secure. 70% a somewhat higher number, say that the accuracy of the results of the recent primary election were okay. And two thirds, sixty-six percent of uh, of Republicans feel that the uh, general election results will be accurate. In other words, to flip that one around as an example, a third of Republicans don't think that the results will be accurate. And I don't know, and I suspect you don't either, what that would look historically. But I would imagine if you were to go back not too many years, the I would expect all these numbers would have been up in the 90s.
2: You know, we never know what we're going to find when we go into these surveys. But I have to say, I was perhaps persuaded by the dialogue, you know, the public dialogue around the uh, election fraud and all these things that are being discussed. Um, so I was, I would say, um, somewhat surprised, perhaps, that the results were as high as they are. But at the same time, as you say, that half full or half empty the glass. And I, you know, we don't have historical data, but I think that I tend to agree with you that the numbers would have been higher in the past.
1: So to characterize again, uh, a majority of Republicans uh, think on all of these measures say positive things, but it is also true that a very significant minority don't feel that way. And, and, yeah, I I, and a- that to me is troubling for the future of democracy
2: it is absolutely and i think that's something we should certainly be concerned about i do think though it can temper a little bit how we're hearing our public dialogue because i think we've tended to hear more from the voices of you know the minority of voters and so we think it's important to put this information out there just so that we have a sense of you know where we actually stand with uh, likely voters in Arizona.
1: Indeed. Fair context. If you didn't have this as a baseline, some people might be tempted to conclude that almost all Republicans think the election wasn't fair or was stolen or something like that. And this clearly refutes that.
2: That's right. And we did not ask about the 2020 election because that one has become so politicized. Uh, So we think it's really interesting, actually, to ask questions about, where we are in real time relative to our current elections. And so I think, um, you know, it's really important information. I think it's important to know that, yes, majorities of voters, um, you know, a range of them, but but do believe that our elections are safe, um, fair, secure and accurate, uh, but that we do have, you know, not insignificant percentage, especially of Republican voters who don't necessarily feel that way. Not a majority, but a significant number.
1: Now, you've said you've shared this with candidates. I'd love to hear about uh, what those conversations went like and, and what kind of reactions you had when you shared these figures with candidates.
2: Well, we've been putting this information out. We've not directly shared it with any individual candidate. We're just trying to get this information out just like I'm talking to you um, and, um, you know, in lots of different fora in terms of, of sharing this information. But um, we haven't haven't briefed candidates individually on this on this. On these results,
1: okay, would love to be a fly on the wall when some of this, you know, to see whether oh, uh, that's aha. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm persuaded, or that's, uh, I don't know. You're part of this whole conspiracy, I suppose is the other reaction that one could have. Uh, But
2: we have a few other findings on how voters generally look at elections. I'm happy to share.
1: Yeah, let's um, let's do events. that now. And then I want to yeah. uh, uh, after we break, I want to go into some of the specifics on some of the policy issues. But yeah, on elect, uh, staying on elections, yeah. Yeah. please do share.
2: So, for example, also, maybe somewhat surprisingly, given this dialogue that you know, political narrative, I should say, uh, nationally and, and in Arizona about pol- polarization and division and ideologically driven um, um, campaigns, you know, two thirds of voters have said that they care more about where candidates stand on the issues and their plans for addressing them than on ideology. So ideology comes very low on the list. Really interestingly, we asked voters, um, you know, whether they preferred candidates who really stuck to their guns, who stuck to their ideology, uh, or did they prefer candidates who uh, were willing to negotiate and compromise in order to get something done? So by a two to one margin, likely voters actually prefer candidates willing to negotiate and compromise. And again, in this very divided, polarized narrative we find ourselves in, I actually thought that was a pretty remarkable finding. I, w-
1: I wonder if um, you had a question on the, in there on whether people voted in the primary, because uh, the supposition I might make is that while that may be true for the overall electorate, the. Uh, primary voters may be more of a make no compromise kind of ilk, or certainly if you, or the candidates think so, because that's the, more of the rhetoric in the uh, in the primaries on both sides was uh, we're going to fight this other side, they're evil, we're right, uh, and uh, some of those same candidates have tried to moderate that a little bit in the in the general election. Did you did you happen to look at primary voters separately? No.
2: So we, this survey was of likely voters in the general election. So mm-hmm. you are correct that they may be a little bit more open to these sorts of issues. I think certainly the primary system itself, the partisan primary system itself, does tend to, you know, incentivize uh, voters. I mean, incentivize candidates to focus on you know small minorities of voters that really determine primary outcomes.
1: We'll be back with Sybil all
2: likely voters.
1: We will be back with uh, Sybil Francis of the Center for the Future of Arizona after the break in the think tank.
0: The Think Tank. KTAR News on 923 FM and KTAR.com.
1: We're back with Civil Francis. She's the president and CEO of the Center for the Future of Arizona, who recently did a series of polls, two of them on what Arizonans want. Uh, let's break this out topically, if we could. Uh, what were the highlights of what you find found that uh, Arizona uh, citizens want on this uh, on the matter of education?
2: We did two surveys. Uh, we did one prior to the. Uh, Uh, August primary and then one afterwards and one reason we wanted to do a second survey was because we asked uh, Arizona likely voters their outlook on funding for education and if you'll recall the legislature did put I think it was a billion dollars into education at the last at the end of the session and in exchange
1: for which they opened up vouchers
2: yes Uh, But our original survey did not capture that moment. So we our survey went out before that happened in the legislature. So we really wanted to check back with voters because voters had indicated, um, you know, that they thought education was underfunded, among other things. And so we just wanted to check back in and see where voters stood on that issue. So what we had asked was we, we asked about education funding in a number of different ways. One question was. What should the state be doing with the surplus? Would you prefer investments by the state of the surplus into education and and infrastructure? So roads, public safety Uh, and and voters two to one preferred um, investments rather than tax cuts. So that was an interesting finding. That's what we found before the primary. But after after the action on the legislature, we wanted to ask that question again. And so we essentially got the same answer, that not only do Arizonans prefer investments in education, public infrastructure, and other areas over getting a tax break, they believe that education is still underfunded and that teachers should uh, have higher pay. So this is something that we just hear over and over and over from all the surveys that we've been doing.
1: No doubt. Uh... Influenced by periodic reports that were been 49th or 50th by some measures in funding education. That's not a...
2: Yeah, that's right. And I think really the highest item on our survey was that Arizonans want to have more quality teachers and principals in schools. We had 89% of likely voters say that that is a top priority. And so, and again, this is among... Democrats, Republicans, uh, independents, and non-affiliated voters.
1: Uh, 89% overall. What, what was the number like among Republicans, if there's
2: going to be opposition? So for, teach, for quality teachers and principals, um, we had uh, actually 96% of Republicans feel that way. Um, what we call total support, so that strongly support and support, mm-hmm. 95% of independents, non-affiliated, and 98% of Democrats. So
1: basically, on and that, that I, question, there's no difference whatsoever.
2: No, no, there's absolute agreement on that. We also had strong agreement among the, the political parties on the expanding career and technical education opportunities. That was something that was uh, very high on everyone's agenda.
1: We're, we're, on we're, increased... we're, we're, we're down to two minutes. I want to let you talk about water if you'd okay. like to.
2: Okay. Yeah. So water, um, what we did in our second survey, you know, the first survey showed that Arizonans really understand that we have a water issue and they, wanted, they want to hear what the plans of candidates on water and the candidates have started talking more about water than they were before but um so but what we asked was what do what do you prioritize in terms of where we put our water? do you prioritize agriculture, conservation and recreation or growth and to me, it was very interesting that the electorate is actually equally divided among those three they're pretty much you know, a third, a third, a third. So that was very interesting.
1: And kind of and, difficult for a policymaker to get direction out of that.
2: Yes, yeah, so I think it basically says policymakers need to figure out how to get us more water and for us to use water more efficiently, because um, there doesn't seem to be any clear indicator and in that in some ways we want and need it all, according to the electorate. Seventy five percent of likely voters are worried that we won't have enough water in our future. So they're very concerned about water overall.
1: There's another way looking at that, I suppose. It it says to a policymaker is that if the experts lead you in one direction or another, saying that's going to be more effective, that a policymaker has some latitude to move, given that uh, the public is divided on the issue and perhaps is... uh, Uh, amenable to uh, some education on how how we get there towards more water, which I think probably is a universal goal. And... uh yeah, it, may, it may be a good thing that uh, that there's some latitude. Well, thank you very much. This is very enlightening to listen to imme- immediately uh, prefatory to uh, the upcoming election. And I, I thank you for your contribution to our public discourse. When we come back the second half of our show, we will have Secretary of State candidate Adrian Fontes. And we will return in the think tank in just a moment.
0: The think Tank KTAR News on 923 FM and KTAR.com
1: Our thanks to Civil Francis of the Center for the Future of Arizona who shared with us some interesting uh, data on some of the commonalities in the priorities of Arizona citizens uh, moving along now the Secretary of State, second highest office in the state of Arizona, uh, the office that uh, the holder of, if elected, would become governor should the governor leave for any reason. That's happened in uh, several times since I've lived in Arizona. Um, our, our guest is Democratic candidate Adrian Fontes. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, full acknowledgement, his Republican... Uh, Opponent Mark Fincham did not respond to several invitations to participate. Otherwise, he would be here. That's too bad. Uh, Not unknown in the current environment. Well, Uh, uh,
0: it is par for the course
1: for him. Well, uh, uh, Mr. Fontes is a practicing attorney. He served in both the Maricopa County Attorney's Office and the Attorney General's Office, and he's a Marine Corps vet. He was most notably Maricopa County recorder from 2017 to 2021, uh, running, in effect, the last election of 2020. In Maricopa County. And uh, in that election, he lost a very close election himself. Uh, you probably know the margin better than I do. It was,
0: it was just under 4,600 votes out of almost 2 million yeah. cast. So it was – my ego has to tell you it was very close.
1: Well, I remember, you know, when all of these accusations started to, uh, you know – come up about how, uh, not just here, but inclusive of our Maricopa, well, their election was fraudulent. They cheated. I thought to myself, I said, if this guy's going to cheat on anything, <laughs> you'd think it would be yeah. his own election, which was close yeah, enough. that." <laughs> oops, I guess I missed one, yeah. didn't I? Uh, yeah, I want to ask, because you, uh, you're, you uh, lost out to Stephen Richard, the current uh, yes. uh, county recorder.
0: Who, by the uh, way, is doing a really good job.
1: Well, he said this, interestingly, said the same thing about you. I thought, you know, he came in, you know, the tenor of the Republican Party right now is that anybody who says, you know, fraudulent election, anything like that, you know, gets gets the crowd whooped up. And he had the perfect opportunity to say that you ran a shoddy election. Uh, He would he would get kudos in his own party for doing and he did not do that.
0: Well, no, because he's an earnest person. Person, yeah. uh, and you know Stephen and I had our political differences. we still do frankly mm-hmm. we we chat every once in a while, but he has seen the system. he knows the people that work the system. he still has most of them working for him, mm-hmm. and it is the essentially the same system with some improvements here and there, which we were hoping to make anyway. Uh, that team is a great team. Uh, Maricopa County elections team is one of the finest in the nation. Uh, and uh, he, he, he took hold of that ship and he is taking it full steam ahead into the future. And I'm very glad that uh, he has the maturity uh, and the common sense uh, and American sensibility to be able to look at the work of another person and judge it on the merits of the work.
1: And to be willing to
0: do so. And and to be willing to say it publicly in mm-hmm. spite of our political leanings. That's mm-hmm. what we're supposed to do. And we're supposed to be honest. We're supposed to have integrity and honor. I can certainly say that about my former opponent. Uh, I just can't say the same about my current opponent. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, um, I remember in particular... Diff- close the book on Mr. Richer, but he wrote an analysis of what happened in the election. Oh, a lengthy analysis. That, that not only dealt with every single accusation, no matter how weird, but it also was a political analysis. He talked about exactly where Donald Trump lost the election. And it was in places where, uh, where uh, Joe Biden captured some votes that you didn't get for example republican women in the suburbs he did a little bit better and that was that was how how biden won and how you lost by a nar- narrow yeah margin.
0: I, I mean and and he's he's i mean he's a university of chicago educated attorney stephen mm-hmm. richard's a he's a smart guy um and and i think his analysis was about as good as anybody else's particularly as it pertained to the election administration mm-hmm. uh, in 2020 i'm i'm, I'm grateful uh, that he has the guts to to come right out and say it in spite of the political fallout that he's experienced. Um but you know you say the Republican Party it's not the whole Republican Party. This is a this is a a, a loud uh minority, a very loud minority of Republicans. I think most Republicans really just want government to work well. They want to see things happen the right way. Um, And when some of these folks just keep raising questions with no evidence and keep raising questions, that doubt filters into the normal conversation where it does not belong. But as evidenced by the outpouring of support that my campaign, a Democrat's campaign, has received from Republicans, from business leaders, from community leaders, from former elected Republicans and current elected Republicans, um, we know that the entire Republican Party is not the party of Trump. The entire Republican Party is not the party of stop the steal and conspiracy theories. There's plenty of regu- re- common sense, regular level-headed Republicans out there who want normalcy. They want government to just do its job and get out of the way so that the business of America, which is business, can proceed so that education, educators can educate, lawyers can lawyer, doctors can doctor, arts and sciences can move their, their, their path that's what most people want, and I think that's what a lot of folks want to get back to and just get the heck away from 2020. We're sick of it.
1: But you have to acknowledge that a, a Republican voter has a, a kind of a more difficult dilemma to face in that um, they, uh, on economic issues, in general, they'd like to spend less, and Democrats, in general, would like to spend more.
0: But none and- of But none of them, none of them, Democrat, Republican, mm-hmm. or Independent want unpredictability in their election systems. Mm -hmm. None of them want to upset the apple cart of the regular pulse of normalcy. None of them want Mm -hmm. chaos and unpredictability. That's why we have so much cross-party support. That's why independents are pouring over to our side in this race. That's why Republicans are supporting us in this race, because they understand that as it pertains to the Secretary of State's office, which is mostly ministerial, by the way. We don't do a heck of a lot of other policy stuff.
1: I've often wondered, by the way, in that, and that's so just a, kind of an aside, but not an irrelevant one. No, and, it, and it, it, but it's absolutely true. But if They but, just want it
0: to work well.
1: Yeah, the point about that, in an ideal world, uh, if you were to reconstruct it, would the Secretary of State even be an elected office? You, you talk yes. about it being ministerial. Yes, or, yes. Yeah. I,
0: I think it should be an elected office, and quite frankly, I think it should have more of the Department of Administration work inside of it. Basic stuff like motor vehicle division should not be politicized. Um, some of the other stuff like the Department of Revenue, just the tax collecting part, not mm-hmm. the spending part, that's mm-hmm. the legislature sure. and stuff. So there's some of these functions of state government, in my view, that ought to be under one of these offices that is very, um, that is very apolitical. That having been said, I still think it should be elected because the people need to decide who is operating the levers of government. Mm-hmm. So the people still need to be able to use their judgment to determine some of these things in spite of the ministerial nature of the office. I think that's critically important. So are you going to make something completely apolitical? I don't think you can. I don't think well, you really I, can. But in, that's not how America's ever worked In anyway. a
1: city government, isn't the equivalent of Secretary of State? the city clerk
0: yeah but you're not dealing with a city government here the facts mm-hmm. are different uh, the, the 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 taxing authority is different the spending authority is different the nature of the policy that's uh, applied is different um there, there's it, it's it's not apples and oranges there are analogies there it's not mm-hmm. completely different but there are enough differences there that i think that this is one of those things where uh, you know it should remain elected but it should also be much less partisan than it has become
1: let me ask you okay in light of everything that you've said uh, uh, go back to your work in the Maricopa County Recorder's Office. Sure. What were the, some of the biggest changes you made in that office when you were in, when you were in office? Well, I years? think
0: that the most significant change was the change of attitude. We were an office that completely focused on the function of the office and completely focused on doing everything for less, as cheap as humanly possible. And what we ended up with was a system that, while functional, didn't serve well. And it didn't serve well because we weren't spending any money helping voters and, uh, and and making sure that folks could have easy access to their ballot. By turning that attitude around, we spent more money in overtime because our folks had to work more. We spent more money expanding some programs because our f- folks had to work more. But think about what we did for American democracy. Between 2016 and 2020, we saw an increase of 500,000 more voters on the voter rolls. That's an enormous percentage from, from 2.1 to 2.6. We've got
1: states that are smaller well, than that. States that are
0: smaller than that in actual population.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And as insofar as ballots cast in that period of time, we went and increased by 600,000 ballots cast in that four-year period, even during a pandemic. That is access. And what we ended up with was a much more true reflection of the American voice in Maricopa County. That, to me, is bringing the the, the truest expression of American will, the consent of the governed forward, when you have many, many many more of these voices represented. And and it may not fly directly with any one particular political view or not. That's not what's important. What's important is that the American voice is heard. And by making access easier, while maintaining accountability and security and all that stuff, um, we got a truer reflection. So I think in that way, we boosted little d democracy in Maricopa County in ways that we could not have imagined when we first took office.
1: If my memory is correct, one of the things I think you initiated was uh, as a voter, now I receive a series of texts. Yeah. We've (laughs) mailed your ballot. We've, you know, we've gotten back your ballot. We've counted your ballot. I've personally found that very reassuring.
0: Well, you know, that's that's the thing. It's a, it's a question of building confidence. So that mm-hmm. basically acts as a receipt mm-hmm. uh, for the voter that your ballot is going to be prepared, right? Mm-hmm. You're eligible for an election soon. Your ballot's in the way. Start looking out for it. Your ballot was received when it gets returned back. Your signature was verified, right? So,
1: and if, and if I don't get a thing saying my ballot was received, maybe I'd show up on election day and cast a ballot.
0: That's exactly right. And that's the idea behind this, because democracy is a partnership between the voter and the election administrator. And this allows the voter to be more responsible. Instead of just kind of throwing caution to the wind, there is an accountability now. And I'm very proud of the fact that they've just initiated that program down in Pima County, along with the vote center model that we initiated here in Maricopa County, where on election day, any voter can vote at any vote center in the entire county. Pima County adopted that too. And the reason Pima has followed Maricopa has a lot to do with the fact that I was the chief deputy recorder immediately on leaving Phoenix. I went down to Tucson to help the new county recorder down there and we brought in a lot of these programs, and has, she has continued to push them under her administration. So I'm very proud of that.
1: That probably required some funding for technology, because actually to, to vote anywhere, you've got to be able to access who's voted and who hasn't,
0: Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But, the, but, but it, it really increases accountability and security as well in ways that I don't know that we have time to get into here, because that's more technical stuff. But the reality is our elections are actually much more secure. Did you know that in 2016, the year before I was County Recorder, we had over 200 double ballots or double votes by voters in Maricopa County. And in 2018, we didn't have any. Mm -hmm. And that's because we put this system into place that made it much more secure and it made it much more accountable. And a lot of folks, you know, will make these crazy accusations But if you look at the actual numbers, we've done very, very, very well, and I'm very proud of the fact that Mr. Richer has recognized that and continues the programs that I created in Maricopa, and now we're hoping to take them statewide when I become Secretary of State.
1: We'll be back with Adrian Fontes. He is the Democratic candidate for Secretary of State. We'll be back in the Think Tank in just a moment.
0: The Think Tank.
1: KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Secretary of State candidate Adrian Fontes. What's at stake, sir, in this election for Secretary of State?
0: Well, one of the common sense things that folks need to be concerned with is the fact that um, my opponent wants to completely eliminate ballot by mail voting in Arizona. He thinks that everybody should stand in line only on election day, only at their assigned polling place, and that's it, because I don't know why. There's no real well, evidence some, that Well, some problem. people
1: have suggested, and I wonder if you could address that somehow a vote by mail is less secure than an in-person vote.
0: Yeah, well, I'd like to know why, because every bit of evidence, every study, every academic, every election administrator across the country that I've ever spoken to says differently. And the folks that are saying that ballot by mail is not secure have yet to produce any evidence of why. They have yet to really think through and carefully play their case out because they don't have one. It is a mythology. In fact, ballot by mail voting is more secure than election day voting, even with a photo ID. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. I'll give you one. For example, when was the last time you checked somebody's ID? Never. Right. Guess what? You're qualified to check IDs on election day. How secure is that? It's not. So the fact that we're just saying these things uh, without providing any other real rationale behind them is just crazy. And once you think about it beyond the first step, uh, you start seeing why. Ballot by mail voting isn't isn't just something that the Republicans created and promoted for thirty years. It's something that Arizona voters really like.
1: Maybe it would be helpful if you describe the process when a vote by mail ballot is received in the county recorder's, and it is the county recorder, not the secretary. Right, and we'll start. What do they do with it?
0: Here is how it works. You've got to be a registered voter. You've got to have asked for it. You've got to get it in the mail, and you've got to get it back. It's going to be scanned in to make sure that we haven't received any prior ballots from that address and that voter. That's the envelope, right? The envelope that comes in. Second, the signature is then going to be verified by folks who are are trained to do this. And oh, by the way, given the number of petition signatures, initiative signatures, candidate petition signatures, and ballots, the folks at Maricopa County, anyway, uh, have probably checked more signatures than most FBI uh, forensic experts ever will. Right? This is a real set of experts that do this sort of thing. Once they verify that that address is good or that the signature is good, then those still sealed envelopes end up at the election warehouse, cataloged, and they uh, get opened by a bipartisan team who separate the envelope from the ballot. The envelopes get sequestered away and um, itemized. For, i got to um,
1: believe a machine is doing that. They're there watching, right?
0: No, this is human beings that Human do beings split the envelopes? And you can watch them online. There's really? 24-7 wow. cameras. Human beings will separate the envelope and the ballot. Hmm. They'll put the envelope on one side of the table. They'll put the ballots still folded unopened on the other side of the table. Once they count through to make sure that they've got the same number of ballots and envelopes, the envelopes go away. That's where the identifying information for the voter is. So I get my, that that way my ballot is still secret. At that point, that's correct. At that point, then the stack of still folded ballots gets put between the Republican and Democrat, for example, workers. They open each of them up, inspect them for damage, make sure they're good to go. They take that stack, they put a receipt on it, uh, a series of receipts that goes through all the way to the ballot tabulation center. They stick it in the stack and off it goes to be tabulated, totally anonymous. So you've got that separation, you've got all those levels of security, and on the signature verification, you still have auditing that happens. 2% of all of the good SIGs get audited every single day, and there's multiple layers of signature verification that happen. So well before those envelopes get opened, you've got a really solid, secure way of uh, verifying.
1: So if I vote by mail, Mm -hmm. my signature is being checked by somebody who's been trained in checking signatures.
0: By the same people that train the FBI, Mm -hmm. train the folks in the county recorder's Mm -hmm. office and some of the other county offices that do this work. But
1: if I walk in and vote in person, I know those are people you just hired last week or last month.
0: Right. Right. And they'd be as good as checking IDs as you are. Okay. And have as much experience as you have. And this is why, this is what people need to understand. The ballot-by-mail system is one of the best, most secure, and most accountable systems in the United States of America. We don't just take in open envelopes that have no signature. If there's a mismatched signature, we're going to go try to find those voters and try to verify that they turned in that ballot. And a lot of times we'll say, oh, somebody had a quick onset of Parkinson's, so their signature is all jacked up. Mm -hmm. somebody went from being 18 years old to 22 years old in the next general election. Their signature is going to change a little bit. Okay. So we do that checking on tens of thousands. We
1: don't want fake votes to get in there, but we also want real votes to be counted.
0: Right. And that's the idea. We want to make sure that Americans have their fundamental right to vote secured uh, and promoted. We don't want to squeeze people out because of B.S. stories and mythologies. And unfortunately, my opponent in this race for Secretary of State wants to eliminate ballot by mail completely.
1: And what percentage of our votes right now come in that way?
0: In the last general, it was 92%. In this past primary, it was 88%. So this isn't just a big majority. This is almost all of our voters are voting early uh, and or by mail. And that's the same system uh, for both, both of these forms of voting. The
1: other... Uh, suggestion we've heard from some, well, we shouldn't count, trust machines, we should count it by hand. And somebody calculated that's, with that's all, the, all the things that we do, it amount to 74 million separate things that would have to be counted. It, it's
0: actually 154 million. Okay. Uh, and given the number of, of contests on each of these ballots, yeah. I mean, look at how long it took these these guys with that nonsense they did down at the madhouse mm-hmm. on McDowell. Yeah. Um, how long did that take them? They were looking at two races. And how many months yeah. did it take them? Yeah. Now multiply that by you know, uh, by 35 because you're going to have 70 selections on these ballots. And we've mm-hmm. got all the initiatives and all the judges. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, come on. You guys, You know, people complain, oh, it takes too long. This is the fastest it's ever been. And I can tell you, I'll go back to Steve Richer.
1: I don't know what he did
0: over there, but they're even faster than we were. And we were faster than Helen's operation. One of the
1: big difference I noticed between states on this is... States vary in the extent to which they allow county recorders to start counting votes mm-hmm. before election day. You bet. Yeah. And you, I don't see why that isn't allowed almost from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Secure. Nobody gets to see the count. Unless unless, through unless, the unless, process. You're,
0: unless you're hand counting. Yes. If you're hand counting at the end of every day, you're going to have numbers inside of human heads.
1: Someone's well, going to know also, two I mean, or three weeks ahead of is time. anybody but... who's dealt with technology, <laughs> <laughs> human, human beings are just, not as yeah. accurate. I mean, I, I noticed that, that so-called audit at, at McDowell there. Mm. They didn't exactly, I knew they would never I- exactly match the counts by machine. And I, uh, my assumption, the difference was relatively small. Oddly, it was pro in the direction of Biden. I still believe the, the machine count.
0: Well, the machine count uh, you know is 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 far superior, but you know and then and the other problem with all of this is these things that get tossed around, people say, "Oh, the voting machines we don 't have voting machines in Arizona. every ballot in Arizona has a paper ballot to it every single one that 's the law in Arizona, so the people that are screaming about vote machines uh, they 're just it 's just not good, and so you know i I think what folks need to really understand is this. I'm a professional this election your administrator. Comment. Yeah, this will yeah. be it. Thank you so much. You know, I'm a veteran of the United States Marine Corps. I'm a father of three teenage daughters who need to be able to choose what they do and how they vote. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a certified election administrator. I'm the guy that had enough integrity and honor to oversee his own narrow electoral loss and hand over the keys peacefully and gracefully. We can't have unpredictable extremists running our elections, and that's what my opponent presents.
1: That was Adrian Fontes. He is the Democratic candidate for Secretary of State. I'm Mike O'Neill. You want to reach me? The website is mikeoneill.org, and you can use that to reach me by social media, email, or your choice of methods. Thank you. See you next week in the Think Tank.